0: We do have a lot of new people here today. We have a lot of students visiting, but we are wrapping up a series, so a lot of you are going to be lost, except it's a very popular, very common-known book. We're looking at the book of Jonah, so I'm hoping you can catch up as we, as we look at this fourth chapter beginning this morning. Um, chapter one, Jonah gets a command from God, and he runs, and God sends a storm, The sailors reluctantly throw him overboard. Uh, Jonah encourages them to. God appoints a fish, which is what the letter of Jonah, the story of Jonah is known for. This fish swallows him for three days. And then chapter 2, Jonah spends time praying. I don't know how he wrote it in the belly. We think he wrote it later. But he thought it and prayed it in the belly. And then he was vomited out. Chapter 3 is the high watermark of Jonah. This is where he does what he's told. He goes, he preaches the eight word sermon, and Nineveh repents and they, they don't uh, they't uh, or they, they, they repent, and God relents from his destruction of the great city and then we have chapter four. Um, if you are into literature, this may be considered like a denouement it's not a perfect tied up ending, but it's sort of the climax that goes into the final thoughts. Um, When I first started here at Grace, almost every sermon had a Seinfeld illustration. Remember that? It's been a while. I ran out of them. I also ran out of people who watched that show. But one of the great things about the Seinfeld show, I'm not giving you, I'm not saying I advocate all of its content, much of it at all, but is that the humor, there's this technique they used where you would watch the humorous scene and then the next scene they're in a coffee shop discussing it, and that's really where it became more funny, more real. So that's kind of what we have. We have the coffee shop, so to speak, here with Jonah. He is now talking to God, and for the rest of the, of the book of Jonah, which we'll look at this week and next week, we're going to find this interesting dialogue between God and Jonah where the entire book comes into clarity. So we'll look at it this uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 4, Uh, I'm going to begin with verse 10 of chapter 3 just to give us the context. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, "O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? This is the word of the Lord. Lord, indeed, we say with Jonah, you are merciful, you are gracious, you are slow to anger, you are abounding in steadfast love. And like Jonah, Lord, we have to believe that. And I pray this morning we would believe that more, that your spirit would open our eyes to the beauty of your love and your mercy, that that would drive us to seek you more in our lives. Amen. Amen. Um, I want to talk this morning about how God is after our hearts. So the title of the sermon is um, The God After Man's Heart. Obviously a play on words for David and, Saul, and, and for Samuel. We're going to look at it for two weeks. But God is after your heart. And when we look at Jonah and we see this dialogue, what we're going to see is that Jonah has an idol. Jonah has something he worships really more than God. And that is the nation of, Assyria, of, uh, of Israel, he doesn't worship Assyria, Israel, and Nineveh is the capital of their chief enemy, Assyria, who will eventually take them out. So when God relents, Jonah is right to realize, like, you just saved our enemy, and now our enemy probably will eventually take us out. Okay, but what God is doing with the book of Jonah is primarily trying to get Jonah first, and then the nation of Israel to repent of heart idols, that they are turning to other things besides God. And an idol, I just want to give a quick definition, is different from a a traditional sin, right? Even idolatry is sin. What we mean by heart idols is we live in the modern era, most of us are not crafting little figurines to worship anymore. Some of you may have struggled with that in your past, but we find ourselves putting weight, putting energy and hope in things that are by themselves very good, But when we put that hope into them and that weight upon them, they begin to let us down. This morning, I was reminded of this when Dan walked in. Dan Purdy walked in with a limp. And I remembered, ah, and I asked him for permission. This is an audible illustration. He had a toe amputated this week, right, Dan? And he says his nickname is now Nueve. See, the toe has been needing to go for a long time. So for us, we hear that, we're like, that's horrible. He said a friend of his is like, I heard you're an amputee. But he's saying, no, this is great. Like, I'm so excited because once the healing is done, I can work out better. I can enjoy my life better. Okay, how's this for an illustration? The toe had to go. Now, if I would have had more prep, we could have brought it up in some sort of a jar. Okay. Is this, Have I? Is this gross? So if you're like me, and all of us, we, the thought of losing a part of ourselves feels horrible. But in, in reality, God wants to get into those places, extract those things that you're putting so much weight on so that you can flourish. And that's what we're going to see with Jonah. So we're going to look at what does it look like to uncover a heart idol and to actually see healing? It's very painful, as Dan will tell you. So what we're gonna look at three things. The problem is worse than you think. God's love is more than you believe. But, and finally, but it's gonna be really painful. So cheer up, right? We're gonna talk about some great hard things. The first thing I'm struck by is, is this problem that Jonah comes to. In order to see an idol in your heart, it has to be named, right? And the problem with naming an idol is we really don't want to admit the fact that there's something we're putting all of our hope in, all of our identity in. Jonah was probably not at a place when he prays this prayer to admit that he was not following the commands of God. He probably still felt like his love of country, his love of Israel and her borders, even to the degree of ignoring God's mercy, was still a healthy thing, Right? And so I'm going to actually encourage you to process your idols through anger. That's what Jonah does. Look at what Jonah says, or look at the, what he tells us when he writes this. This is not a quote, but verse 1. Uh, so, verse 10, God has relented. And then, verse 1 of chapter 4, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He was angry. He didn't go into a rage. He didn't do something you would have probably saw from a distance and thought, that man's losing control. He felt something deep within him because his idol had been shaken, had been messed with, right? And the question is, how do you respond when those feelings come over you? Dan Allender, uh, who wrote a great book called Bold Love, I recommend, says this. Let me summarize the point of this whole chapter. He's a whole chapter on anger toward God. He says, I'm going to have to read this twice, so bear with me. Our unacknowledged and undealt commitment, undealt with commitment to find life apart from dependence on God, okay, I'm going to summarize what he's just said. We, he's saying, have this commitment to try to find life apart with full dependence on God. If we're honest with ourselves, we, we depend on God, but we also depend on a lot of our things, like our strength, our money, our education idols, right? He says, when you're doing that, it's a subtle form of hatred toward God. Furthermore, it blocks our desire and commitment to love others. The dilemma is that the hatred of God is rarely obvious or articulate. More often than not, our anger toward God is suppressed, it's denied, it's redefined. Now, in that chapter, he goes on to show reactions a lot of christians i'm not angry at god right so let me let me ask this question do you have anger there's really only two kinds of anger righteous anger you know jesus cleanses the temple and then unrighteous anger and we love as christians to say there's righteous anger i would say the ratio is like one to one thousand right like for every one time it's righteous 999 times it's probably wrong and when we are angry the really, the, if you go all the way down to its root, on some level, you're mad at God, right? I remember hitting my thumb one time, and I've shared this before, and I didn't use the Lord's name in vain, but I probably mumbled some Christianized version of like, dead it," you know. What is that? That's a Christian's way of wanting to take the Lord's name in vain, right? We just altered the words to make them, you know, copacetic. The problem is I'm mad, I'm not mad at the hammer, I'm not mad at myself, or, you know, I'm mad at something, and that something is God. Something deep in us questions his goodness, right? And for Jonah to come face to face with the fact that God is not gonna wipe out the enemy, he had every opportunity, it exposes his anger. And I just, the question here is simply this Are you willing to pay attention to the anger? The places where you find yourself. Not trusting God's goodness. Secondly, along point number one, the problem. We're naming the problem. We have anger. But Jonah does something beautiful. He doesn't just get angry. He prays. Verse two, and he prayed to the Lord. Um, This is not Jonah ranting and raving, calling a friend. You know, he is going to Yahweh. Yahweh. In fact, the word for Lord here is Yahweh. We've we've not heard that word since chapter 1, or part of chapter 2, excuse me. All through chapter 3, it was Elohim, and now it's back to Yahweh. Jonah is crying out to the covenant God in prayer, and you can look at this prayer and go, this isn't a very good prayer, and we're going to talk more about its content in a moment, but I want to encourage us that any prayer, in a way, is good prayer. Like, at least he's going to the Lord. Listen to what Calvin says about this prayer. Um, Calvin says that the faithful often, in a disturbed state of mind, approach God with a desire to pray, and their prayers are not wholly rejected, though they are not altogether approved and accepted. And hence, it appears more evident, how the works of the godly are regarded by God, though they are sprinkled with many stains. We must therefore acknowledge that there was some piety, some holiness in the prayer of Jonah. Calvin is really developing or working on a theology there that says this, when we do good things, good works, the confession of faith says, insofar as those works are of me or you, they're tainted. But insofar that those works are of God, they're holy and acceptable. So there's no prayer, no work you'll ever perform that by itself is perfectly acceptable. It needs the blood of Christ. So all of our prayers are tainted, and so the point here is don't wait to pray till you think I can pray a holy, perfect prayer. Communicate with God. Take your anger and your hurt to God because you will not begin to deal with the idol that you're holding on to. And let's assume right now, Jonah's got this gigantic idol of nationalism. Some have called it racism. We all have something large that we really have never admitted. And if we can follow and track through this discussion, my prayer is that God will begin to show up and help us through our prayer and crying out and even anger, begin to see those idols of our heart. Listen to this um, Tim Keller prayer. I saw this on Twitter. Is it okay to use Twitter in a sermon? No? But what if it's Tim Keller, Shane? Can I do it then? It just said Keller, and it came from his Twitter account. It could have been anybody that hacked it. Let's go with Tim Keller on this one. It's a confession of sin. He says, Lord, I don't like some of the things I find taught in the Bible. I don't like some of the ways you arrange the circumstances of my life. I confess I don't even like the doctrine of grace. I'd rather earn my salvation, so you owe me. In all these ways, I refuse to let you be God. Forgive me. Amen. Have we begun to name the fact that really what we want is to be good enough? We really want our own conduct, our own actions to make us right with God. And what Jonah finds out is that drove him so far away from an intimacy that was promised to him. God offers us himself. And so the second thing we're going to see then is if you can begin to pray and move toward God honestly in your anger, you'll begin to see God loves you more than you believe. I love Jonah's prayer. Uh, Let's look at it. Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? I love that prayer because, like, sometimes I've been in a fight with my spouse. It's very rare. But I have found myself apologizing and then it goes on a little bit, and then I defend what I've done. Anybody here with me, or am I the only person? It's as if I lied. Like, I am so sorry that I, whatever. But, and then a little bit later, but you know why I did it, right? Jonah has repented of this sin. Like, chapter 2 is him calling out in distress. He, um, he says, I my, sent my prayer, which went before you in the temple, My life was fainting away. He seems to be repentant. Verse 8 of chapter 2 is almost a joke. I mean, it's comical. God has a sense of humor. Listen to what Jonah, out of nowhere, he says, My prayer came to you into your holy temple. Verse 8 of chapter 2. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. I think God was going to show him that's exactly what you do. He was, once again, in his repentance, still trying to be like, but I'm not as bad as those people who worship vain idols. And God's like, yeah, yeah, you are, and I'm going to pursue you. And here we are in chapter four, and they're going to have this great conversation, and Jonah's going to come face to face with the fact that he's got an idol, but then he does this other thing. He says this, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Like, those are pretty good things. So, so if you track what Jonah is doing, he's like, I ran to Tarshish, which I know is sin, because I know you to be a really good God and you were going to rescue my enemy. That's some, that's some really good honesty, right? Right? The problem is I don't think Jonah really knows this to be true. Like he, he knows it up here, but it's not sunk to the heart. See, what he's quoting are verses from Exodus 33, a very famous place in the Old Testament where Moses came down with the Ten Commandments, sees they're worshiping a calf, and he breaks the Ten Commandments and has to carry out justice on his own people. And then God sends him back up the mountain forgives him, says, bring these blank tablets with you, rewrites the Ten Commandments, and, and says, I'm gonna show you myself. And so that's what we sang before the sermon. God graciously protects Moses, puts him in the cleft of a rock. He's protected there. And then God walks before Moses. And here's what God says in chapter 34:5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord and passed by him and proclaimed the Lord the God a God is merciful and gracious sorry the Lord God is merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness so Moses is crying out God show me you and they begin to have this intimacy where when Moses comes off the mountain his face is glowing right? And what God is going to do with Moses is teach that repentance and justice and mercy and God's character are beautiful. And he comes down with a face glowing so much that the Israelites couldn't handle it. And they say, cover your face. Are we like Moses? Is Jonah really wanting to be in the presence of God? Do you want to be close to God? While I was on sabbatical, I read, it was really kind of a neat story I've been following a guy writing a biography of one of my heroes, Jack Miller, for his PhD. Jack Miller has died, uh, has left quite a legacy. This man is doing his PhD on Jack Miller. The book comes out in the spring. So I very arrogantly emailed him and said, look, I'm going on sabbatical. I would love a copy of your dissertation. Uh, And he sent it to me. All the PhD friends in the audience are like, oh, how embarrassing. I'm gonna buy a copy. And I'll buy one for, we'll, the elders will buy, we'll buy a few of these copies in the spring when they're published. So I got to read over my sabbatical this, this great biography on Jack Miller. Jack Miller, PCA pastor, um, professor at Westminster, um, but he's, he's famous really for um, kind of bringing an awareness to the gospel. Tim Keller would even credit Jack for being, J- Keller was an elder at his church, I didn't know that. So disciple Tim Keller, uh, Harvey Kahn, uh, Dick Kaufman, quite a few famous evangelists in our own circles. Um, but what Jack had happened in his life, he'd already been a professor, he'd already been a pastor, but he felt empty and joyless. And so he, if you've heard his testimony, he goes to Spain, not because he's wealthy, but because someone invited, like said, here's a spot for you, they laid on like... Um, I always do this. I can't think of words when I'm preaching, and then I look at people, and they get nervous. Sleeping bags. They slept on sleeping bags. Those are the two words I was looking for. And so, and Jack studies, he says he drinks Isaiah, he drinks the book of John, and he studies the promises of God. But I had not read this part, so I get to the, um, he came back. He also visited the Schaeffers, Francis Schaeffer, I didn't know this. And he said, I came back from these meetings realizing I don't pray. That was his big takeaway. But even more, he said, I also realized I wasn't Trinitarian. Now, wait a minute. What does that mean? Even, yeah. Theologically, he's Trinitarian. Trinitarian. Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. We're all, if you're a Christian and you confess the Apostles' Creed and you make a public profession of faith, you are Trinitarian. Jack Miller was ordained in a very conservative Presbyterian church. He's Trinitarian. What's he saying? Functionally, I live like there's no Holy Spirit. Oh, I reference him here and there. How many of us, by the way, don't ever do this again after this sermon. Don't say it when you refer to the Spirit. I've done that. It's nice. (laughs) You know, because it's like, what's the gender Maybe he? If you, I don't, I'm just saying, don't say it. That's all I'm asking. Okay. That's my own little aside. Miller began to go back through scripture and see where the spirit comes forward. And, and the point of, the, of this is to say, we are trying to live independently of God, which is why we rest on our idols. Jonah is now coming into this place where he's having a conversation with Yahweh, the covenant living God, and he's quoting a passage where Moses saw the backside of God, communed with him, and comes off the mountain glowing. Is that what we long for? Are you, do you realize God wants to be with you? Do you realize that God takes you, sinful you, and covers your sin and loves you, and wants communion with you. But that's gonna mean, going back to point one, a lot more vulnerability, a lot more openness about the things we're resting on besides him. And then in point two, re-examining our theology that we can quote as reformers. If if you're in this room and you're reformed, you might say, I have got all my theology down. I can dot every I, cross every T. Jonah had his theology down. But do you commune? With God. So I want to finish our discussion in the next, say, six or seven minutes just thinking about how to do that. Jack Miller is uh, famous for his cheer up statement. So point one, I would re- rename it now just to kind of bring you up to date. Cheer up, you're worse than you think. That sounds harsh, but really what I'm saying, Jonah's sin and his clinging to idols was worse than he realized. Point two, cheer up, God loves you more than you know. Jonah was intellectually aware that God was merciful and graceful. He was not experientially aware of his own personal need for mercy and grace. Why? Because he's clinging to the idol. So as we move into point three, I just want to ask you a question. Where are your idols? What are the idols of your heart? I'm going to just throw out some some very generic ones, and you can kind of them together. I think we all have a sense, but I think a lot of us put our faith in our education, our career. We can make our children into idols. That's not very common in America. Thank you, somebody who laughed. I mean, we, we, like, we idolize, and not even the, the, the human, just the idea behind the human. You know, it's like, it's not that I love this kid, it's that, let me tell you what they've done their accomplishments, their resume. What about our spouse? We idolize our spouses, our jobs, our futures, our pasts, our hopes. We turn things that are beautiful, like little toes, sorry, Dan, into what we place all of our weight on. This is gonna save me. This is gonna bring me happiness. And how do we know? Play with the thought of it going away for a moment. What if your salary was cut in half? What if you're, you're a PhD, what if we stopped at masters? You know, you're trying to get your undergrad, what if you went to like a vote? Like just play around with what might cause you, if you can, no, that wouldn't bother me, move on. But when you find it, you'll know. Because you'll be exceedingly angry. And you'll say with Jonah, I want to die. When your idol is exposed, you will say the words of Jonah, at least internally. You may not use the words boldly like he does, Therefore, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And I love, I love the fact that Jonah prays about God's slowness to anger. He's patient. He says, do you do well to be angry? Like that, you know, Jonah probably just take away my life thinking this fire was just going to bowl him over. And God just gently leans in, "Do you do well to be angry?" And then the next week we'll really examine how God wakes him up and shows him His love for him. But I want to ask you this question: What do you think is going to happen when you begin to name these things in your life? Do you think it's just going to take you out? A few weeks ago, um, I, I talked about well, it's been a long time ago, because we had a sabbatical in the middle, the U theory. Kathy Lorzell at the Allender Center has taken some of Allender's teaching and it's pretty good. I think it's really a great schematic. Imagine a horizon line with a big gulf in the middle. That's the U. And on on the left side, it's shalom shattered. That means the way life is working is not the way it was supposed to. There's disappointment, there's heartache, there's brokenness. And we want to get across the gulf to shalom regained. That is what Christianity is. Like Jesus rescues you from the fall, he takes you to glory, but that space between is not easy. There's this big gulf. And we talked about that in chapter two, by the way, where Jonah is really in the belly of the fish and that's the position and the posture where he writes this beautiful prayer. I encourage you to go back and read it. But here's the point our tendencies do not want to go down because it's painful, right? Cheer up, come and die is really the title of point three because you have to feel when you lose your idol that you're going to die because we have all of these things we've developed as our ways of avoiding God and our ways of trying to deal with our own struggle, right? So we we have habits and personalities and so many things we do to avoid the fact that we don't want to go down the ramp. So here's my, uh, here's my illustration of the ramp. I was watching a 30 for 30, um, and I'm, I should have looked this up. Someone's going to tell me the guy's name. He's from Edmond, and he's a professional BMX bike rider, jumper. It's not Tony Hawk. It's Shane? No, it's not Shane. Matt Hoffman. Thank you. I just did that for you, Scott. I knew this all along. I remember being in Edmund as a kid, he's about five years older than me, and seeing his ramps. He built these ramps and he would jump. Well, I didn't know until I watched the 30 for 30 that he really has what should be the Guinness Book of World Record of the high, like coming off the ramp like 23 feet on a bicycle. The way he does that is he invents this super ramp on the other side. Like to get that high, you have to have a ton of speed. And so he invents this ramp that like, stretches really high And then if he wants to 30 for 30, he uses a motorcycle to get the velocity up. Don't, that doesn't work with my illustration. So this high ramp and the skateboarders are using this now. So they're all using, it's like a super ramp and it goes down and it's all that speed, which then beautifully gives you lift. That's the youth theory, right? The reason that's important is we're terrified of going down. In fact, I'm terrified when I watch the video of how fast he's going down. But that's how you get your lift. How are you avoiding going down? What are you doing? What do we do? We act like maybe Shalom isn't that shattered. You know, that's a big cliff. I'll just pretend this is the normal. This is the new normal. I'm going to just live over here. That's kind of the maybe the antinomian, licentious. I'm just going to, this is pretty much where I'm going to be. Maybe the legalist tries to tightrope across the thing, Right? Um, I'm just going to walk across a little ways out and act like I'm doing perfect. I've even had this vision of maybe people building caves in the side of this, you know, I'm just going to dwell. I went 30 feet down, so I went farther down than you folks, but I'm going to live here now. But you're supposed to find in Jesus an ability, I think, to just boldly confess your idols and just cheerfully do it because you'll know the love, and the mercy, and the graciousness of Jesus. Another illustration of that. We're in a lot of Seattle, because Seattle has these hills. And from where the school sits to the restaurants at lunchtime, you go up like two or three blocks, but you're going up a huge hill, right? And I had a very dear friend, uh, I still have this dear friend, uh, she has a, a walker, some disabilities, and when, we wouldn't go to lunch every time together, but when our group would go to lunch, I would help her. And it was really actually good for me. This is, I'm stepping out of the illustration for a second. This is really good for me. I'm type A. I've got to get places to go slower than normal. It was very helpful. Coming back down the hill was actually uh, hard. I mean, I had her. Um, I'm kind of walking with her. I was the only guy in the group, so I would kind of like, at one point she actually fell, and I had to kind of catch her. At this point, Lime is in Seattle. I don't think I see scooters, but there are these bikes, okay? And a buddy of mine who's like 55 had rented his Lime, gone to lunch, and I'll just never forget going down this hill, slowly, kind of nervous, is everything going to be okay? How long is it going to take to get back? When's lunch end? Are we going to make it on time? And there comes my buddy on his bike with his legs stretched out, yelling, whee, as he flew down the hill. And I had a bit of envy, like, yes. Also fear, like you're going to crash. I'm just trying to tease out what it feels like. We want to go slow. We're so scared and I don't want to really confess too much. So what I'll do is I'll say I have a I have a, a a porn addiction, but it's not that bad. You know, I have a temper, but it doesn't flare that often. You know, we do you find yourself doing this? Saying, you know, I I struggle with with money, but, you know, not really. I've read Ramsey. Like, we always quantify what we've done or qualify it to make it not so bad. And I'm saying, you read Jonah, and he's just like, I'm angry. Can you be honest? Is Jesus big enough, as we see in in this story, to love you and allow you to say, I don't trust you, God. Help my unbelief. Turn my heart around. Show me the ways I cope. Show me the ways I try to deal with my own struggles. Show me the idol that I don't see. And trust that through that prayer, he will answer it. That next week, we're going to watch him answer it supernaturally with a plant and a worm and a sun. He is more interested in you being glorious and flourishing than you are. I promise. But somewhere along the way, you were tricked into thinking it's this incremental, slow, piece-by-piece growth. And the answer is no. You go down that ramp. You boldly name the things that have hindered you, your struggles, your sins, those that were done to you. And as you're doing that, you will, the Spirit will drive you up, and you will see growth on the other side. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this conversation with Jonah. You show us behind the scenes your heart and your love for our hearts. Lord, forgive us for wanting to have surface improvement only. I, I think if we're honest, those of us in the room that are, are Christians are really afraid you'll reject us. If we're really honest, we're afraid if we actually name the thoughts, the places we put our hope, the idols. Lord, we're just afraid you're going to leave us. Forgive us for that. You have done nothing but prove you're faithful, that you're long-suffering, that you're steadfast, that you're merciful. Lord, we know this meal that we are about to eat reminds us that Jesus, you you came to earth to, to die on a cross to show us how far you would go to purchase us. So, Lord, forgive us for being so slow to approach those areas of our lives that we hide from you. Teach us to expose those to you because of the, just the foundation of grace that you've given us. Holy Spirit, draw us into communion with you, that we would walk with you all the days of our life. Amen.